HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. This week, we are in Austin, sitting down with one of our favorite people in the food sphere. He's actually one of our favorite people in life in general, Keith Krieger of Keith Krieger Studios. You've probably eaten off of his plates, sipped out of his cups, snacked out of his bowls, or enjoyed a beautiful bouquet of flowers in one of his vases at one of your favorite restaurants in the last few years. We talk about his journey, we talk about his entry into the food world, and we just talk about life in general. We also dig deep into the archives for one of our favorite psychedelic performances from Small Black. So sit back, enjoy. Here is Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Free at dawn 
Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are sitting in the amazing store slash studio of Keith Krieger, Austin Famous, former Potter, former Potter, yeah, former Potter, current Potter. I make I make pots. You make pots, but but Potter makes you think of like this seventy year old dude who has a big beard and I can't grow a beard and no, you got that baby I face. I don't live in a small town anymore. But so. you throw. You can throw. I can throw. I can throw down. You can throw down. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, we've been friends for a minute. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We met a while back in the the food circles of Austin through through the food world. Through which the food is a world, super friendly community. And uh, I've been just watching you just grow and expand over the last few years. It's been it's it's been fun for me to watch. It must be Thanks. awesome for you to be a part of. Thanks. It's 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 very cool. It's weird when I step back and look at it. I mean. I have been a potter for 25 years since college. You know, I started making pots and I just fell in love with the process. And then about five or six years ago, started working with chefs as sort of the the every chef having a favorite potter trend became about. And oh yeah. We, um, you know, my plates ended up on tables, and then things changed pretty quickly, and in a very cool way. And awesome. Well, we're gonna get to that, but okay. I want to go back to the beginning. Yeah. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in New York, just outside of the city, um, Westchester County. Ooh, Westchester. Um, Westchester. What was that like? What, what are we talking? Mom, did mom, uh, mom artist, dad artist, anyone an artist? Um, my dad had a store in New York City when I was uh, young. He sold it when I was still in elementary school, I think maybe fifth grade. So I realized that I had to uh, figure out a career at that point because I thought I'd take over. It's called Krieger and Sons. Oh, okay. Um, it was sort of like L.O. Bean. Before did he LL consult you? Uh, no, no, sold? no, no, sold it out from under me. So the decision was made by Krieger. Yeah, it was uh, not. It was not the Suns. 
Um, but were you into art growing up? Were you that anything? No, and I. It, it's funny. I don't know if I consider myself an artist, even though I'm supposed to say that I am. But, yeah. Um, it's it's just making things feels right. Um, but I was an American Studies major at school, so I studied history, literature, and sort of material culture. And then now I'm making culture. I mean, pots are what we dig up mm. when we look at um, how people lived. I mean, would you? ever go to history I'm sure it was different before you got into this verse now and been like oh there's a story in each pot um, or bowl well I think it gave me a perspective and I think we'll dive into this later because I have a lot to say about yeah. this but understanding that what you make as a potter and as someone who's working in clay you're part of a really long tradition mm. and it's a tradition that goes back as far as people stopped with agriculture right. right you know stop traveling stop being nomads and when you started raising raising food you had to store it and you had to cook it and clay is what popped up so when like i was saying earlier when we dig up archaeological sites we're looking at the clay shards to figure out how these people lived so you said you started throwing or getting into pottery when in college, in college. Or right, right after college in college sophomore how, year how'd you get into it was, was there a girl involved were you taking a pottery <laughs> class no, so the it's uh, the summer before I was an intern on Capitol Hill. Sure. And thought I was going to... Logical step. Exactly. Capitol Hill to yeah. making pottery. Blazers. And then yeah. the next summer I was... I went to school at Skidmore, upstate okay. New York. Okay. And it's a beautiful town in the summer. Gorgeous. And I thought, hey, why don't I stay up for the summer because it'll be super cool. Um, and if I've lived through this winter, I might as well see what this town looks like in the summer. Sure, yeah. And the uh, That's the reward of living uh, in the Northeast. Yeah, yeah. Now we it's the opposite here in Austin, where yeah. I just have to brave it through the through the heat. But um, I figured if I'm going to take a class over the summer, I should take something fun, and why don't I get rid of my art requirement? So summer after sophomore year, I sign up for a pottery class. And I'd done a little bit in high school, but nothing serious. And... That summer, I had an anthro class and a ceramics class, and I think I spent about 14 hours a day in the studio, hmm. and I had realized I had to drop my anthro class because there was no way I was going to get a passing grade. I mean, what was it? I don't... I think it was just... It's... I mean, that's crazy to have never yeah. done that before, not even grown up really in like a super artistic family, and then just get immediately into it. What was the it's, connection? It's... it's I'm, I'm super process-based. Gotcha. And... Ceramics has so many steps, and all of them are important, whether you feel like it is or not. And there are moments where you can fix things, and there are moments where you can't. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the results, you are going to... May I curse here? I don't know yeah, how it works here. Um, if you are going to think about a finished piece before you're in that part of the process, you are going to fuck things up. Right. So um, it was the ability to like improve every single time you touch the clay and see like, oh, wow, I was able to throw and get that piece higher. I mm. finally got this piece centered. It's like getting past each of those points. And it was also a really active studio. So I had these great mentors, both other students. And then um, one of my mentors, Toshiko Takezu, taught at Princeton for years. Wow. And her work's in the Smithsonian. Oh, yeah. Art Institute of Chicago. And so did you get like right into the pottery crafting scene? Was there a scene? I mean... I mean, like, whatever it is that you dive into, you think it's the coolest thing in the world, and Absolutely. no one else knows as much as you do about sure. life, right? And ceramics became that for me, but 
three weeks into taking my class, Toshiko comes to visit. And she was making these, like, six-foot vessels that time. And she's this 70, early 70 years, five feet Japanese Hawaiian woman. And, like, she's just making these monster vessels. She has help from the students and her apprentices. And I'm just there working, and I'm sitting at, you know, the student wheels. And she's taking a break and sits down next to where I'm throwing. And I'm like, this is before Google. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I didn't have to, like, it's a, I couldn't pull up the Instagram page and see, like, hey, cool, what's Toshiko? What, yeah. what is this about? And, um, but, you know, we heard enough about what she was and how important she was to ceramics as a craft. And um, so she sits down. She's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm trying to center this, you know, five-pound lump of clay, which, uh, you know, for the first couple years of ceramics life is not an easy thing to do. And she says, oh, well, we're going to work late if you want to help out later. And I was like, okay, yes, yeah, okay. Yeah, and I mean, and that's actually how, yes, is how I like to, you say yes and figure things out. Yeah, yeah, you just and, say, yeah, yeah. Oh, you actually want me to stick around? Yeah. So I said yes, and the next thing I know, it's like 4 a.m., and she's finishing up this piece that she had just worked 16 or 18 hours straight on. And it was the coolest experience. Um and to see someone do something with clay on that scale, to see this camaraderie. Ceramic studios are unlike other studios. Like, you know, you go to a graphic design studio, everyone's got their headsets on, sure. they focus on the computer. And you go to a painting studio, no one's talking to each other. But ceramics, you need help. You know, you need help loading kilns, you need help mixing clay. So there was always a community. And um, that's something that I think of with my work. It's about creating community. Now, you get into pottery and you actually wind up opening a store. How did that happen? So or a gallery. The first, so the first gallery was, so I graduated and I went back to New York and I lived in the city, which was not an easy place to make. Brooklyn pottery as a, as a thing didn't exist no. yet. So there weren't many studio spaces, but I reverse commuted up to Portchester, where there's a place called the Clay Art Center. And it was just a way to keep working. And I would go visit Toshiko, um, who is out uh, in Quakertown, New Jersey. Yeah. And I'm there one night and she says, is there anywhere you could start a studio? And I'm 22, and I'm like, oh, well, you know, my family has this property on Cape Cod, and I figured if it's there in five years, I'll do something with it. And she, we're sitting there having dinner, and she says, do it now, you'll have it in five years. Hmm. And I was just like, okay, but that's crazy, I'm 22, and I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And I could not sleep that night. Oh, she put that earworm in. It was there, and it was just to have her support thinking that you should try this and you know next night I couldn't sleep so then I called my dad and called my parents and I was just like hey I know we've got this the property um is there any way that you guys would consider helping me and letting me you know figure this pottery thing out yeah and they were incredibly supportive they had a tenant who had just you know reneged on the lease yeah so the timing of it just like couldn't have been more perfect and your dad had done his own small business so it wasn't yeah. too much of a jump for them yeah no um it it made sense to them um, yeah um and it it was a way i definitely if i didn't have that head start there's no way i would have been on the same path i'm sure i still would have ended up somewhere similarly right um but but, you know, that's the thing about starting in your early 20s, uh, when some people might be fucking around, is that, like, there's still that early 20s fucking around, but then you wake up five years later, and you're like, oh, I sort of have a career, yeah, and, that, that, and I'm mean, not starting was, in my late 20s. That was Toshiko's point. If, yeah. I, like, if I waited, and I probably would have gone and gotten an MFA, and I would have gone a more traditional route. Snooze. And, 
it it's not exciting to me. Like yeah, yeah. And so, to all the uh, people who listen to have MFAs, that's not a a dig on you. Definitely not a dig. Um, good, good on everyone on their own journey. So you exactly. have this. So you go to Cape Cod. You have this gallery. You have it for a while, right? Um, Twelve years. But I also like. It's again that like saying yes. Like my first summer. Don Wrights, who was another kind of legend of the ceramics mm-hmm. field, he um, is teaching a workshop in an art center and has a gallery show for that weekend, right, in their gallery. And I had met him a little earlier at something else, so I yeah. go out to the workshop and I help him do the do the do his thing. And then afterwards, I'm like, "Hey, I've got a gallery down the road. If you know, rather than ship the pieces home, if you want to leave it, I'm happy to try to sell them for you." And then, like, so six months after opening, I have Don Wright's work in my gallery. Which, which is, is amazing. Stupid. Which is stupid. Yeah. But, but he's probably like, thank fucking God I don't have to ship. <laughs> exactly. But also, he he was prolific. And he was also, you know, the ceramics community and the food community, I think, are both super supportive of its, yeah. of its tribe. And I was and still am not afraid to ask stupid things. Yeah. Because most likely people say yes. Or po- point in the direction of someone who will. So, um, yeah, ask for shit. It works out. Awesome. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about your move to Austin, uh, you getting into the food world, uh, and then your uh, phrase, objects matter. Right. Uh, we have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm here with Keith Krieger. Hey. Potterist, former Potterist, current Potterist. Yes. It's not so much where you potter, but when. It, it's where your work ends up. Where your work ends up. So you're in Cape Cod, and when did you start to feel that it was time to leave, give up the gallery, make a change? When did also Austin start coming into your peripheral view? Um, so I married a Texan in 2001. Well, that's going to bring you right back to the state. It Exactly. It's in the very fine print of every marriage. Every license, marriage. But you just don't realize it. Yeah. Um, and like all brilliant people, my wife made me think it was my idea to come to Austin. Um, oh, Keith, that's so smart. What a great idea. What a great idea. Um, she grew up in Houston, which at that point, Houston didn't appeal to me. I think it's a great city, and there's a lot of really cool things going on, but... Austin had this kind of. This was 2009 that we decided. Little, to it was growing. Weird, je ne sais quoi. Yeah, it was a thing. It had yeah. its thing, and um, it had. It was small geographically, s small people-wise, but also like, um, just had these organic neighborhoods kind of thing that in other larger cities doesn't mm -hmm. doesn't happen. So, um, so we decided to move here. Our we you know it was. We had three kids. Our young, our oldest was going into first grade. It was sort of like we either move now or we're tearing him away from real friends. So, right? Um, but those yeah. kindergarten friends aren't real. No, nothing's real then. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then we we moved down here, and I, you know, we decided to shut down the gallery and didn't think it through. Okay. Completely, and I got here, and I was like, oh shit, nobody, you know, this is before you could really sell pottery online. Um, and I sort of left retail customers. Right. And I didn't have another business plan kind of thing, but I was like, I know I can get a studio and start things, and we'll see where it goes. Right. Um, found a small, you know, 800-square-foot uh, apartment complex that was geared towards artists, and the uh, landlord let me use it for a studio space, so put a kiln vent through the dryer vent in the uh, bedroom. And, Classic. And uh, started, started up here. Um, but... Austin has a really cool ecosystem, and the East Austin Studio Tour, which um, nonprofit Big Medium runs. You're a part of that now, right? I just resigned from the board. Um, I put four years in, and as president of the board, and it's um, it's it's, it's full just, time. It's it's a lot. It's a lot of work. Yeah, but the the studio tours are legendary. It's incredible. I mean, it's a model for tours, and it's artist run, and it activates every single type of person in the city. So. Um, I don't think there is a larger art event where people from all walks of life walk in. So mm -hmm. um, it's pretty cool, um, and it's you know. So my first um, move here in August, in uh, November, opened the doors of the studio tour, and hundreds of people walk through. That's amazing. So there's this platform, this ecosystem for me to like instead of screaming, "Hey, I'm Keith, I make pottery." Yeah, it was people start walking through the door, um, and that was really special and really you know, really kind of true to kind of Austin's personality that now you had a voice I'm, I'm sure already sort of set from like doing the gallery in Cape Cod mm -hmm. did it start to shift when you moved to Austin 100% um, I changed the types of kilns I use mm -hmm. so I went from firing with a gas kiln and wood fired stuff which had these really kind of earthy tones and you could get these layers because of the atmosphere um, to fire with an electric kiln um, which you know boring technical reasons you don't get the same kind of play between glazes and clay um, so I kind of stripped the work down to really classic, simple forms, kind of started pulling from what people are familiar with with industrial objects, but making them by hand, mm -hmm. um, and taking the color out of it. So that's where, when the black line in my work kind of started. Gotcha. And, um, 
Can you explain to people what the black line is for those who have yeah. never seen you work? And since there's no visual on yeah, radio, radio, um, sure, we're gonna test my use of language here. But um, so when the clay's, it my my clay body is porcelain, so it's just this pure white, um, and I use a clear glaze on top of it. But what I do is I incise into the clay while it's still soft, um, and I brush a black slip in, which is a type of glaze, and I wipe the excess away, and it stays within this recessed line in the clay, but and this was happenstance where I changed clear glazes one day and all of a sudden the two glazes sort of kind of crystallized together. Um, so you get this kind of bleeding out that people see all different things. Some people see sound waves in it. Some mm. people see like EKG, like, um, but it just gives a little bit of movement. So, you know, one thing that I always say is when you first make a, a piece in clay and it's like glistening because it's just been on the wheel or it's freshly slipped, it just has this this life to it. Sure. And then every other moment in the process is getting it back to that. So ideally, when you pull it back out of the kiln, it has a sheen, it has some texture, mm -hmm. it has something that draws you into the piece, something that makes you want to pick it up and hold it and use it. Um, every other part of the process is kind of dry and dead and... Um, the reason I do the decorations now because it's it's a time in the process that I like working on the pieces. There's about four steps in between that I hate, so I want to <laughs> minimize the amount of time within that and work on that. It's amazing. So you're in Austin. Yeah. You sort of refound a new way of doing stuff. When did you start working with chefs? Now I know that you said 2009, 2010 is when yeah. chefs, also in my mind, started being like, oh, we're creating dishes that need. Yeah. special plateware yeah is that when started happening how does what's the process there how did that happen for you um i'm gonna walk it back just walk just, it back just a heart just a heartbeat a little bit i was still selling my work where potters are supposed to be selling their work so i was doing craft shows oh yeah and all that stuff which does get wild uh, i always wanted there to be like a christopher guest thing of yeah craft shows like because i mean yeah there are stories like i'm sure yeah um but I'm doing one in Houston, it's an outdoor show, and those aren't things I did in the Northeast, and I did some indoor ones that were kind of on the more prestigious side, but, you know, I was trying to find a customer base, and it starts pouring, and you can see this thunderstorm come across here, sure. you know, the radar, and they don't cancel it, they don't cancel it, and then it starts pouring, and they're like, okay guys, you can go home, and it's like 3 o'clock, and I have to pack up my whole booth, you know, 300 pieces. And it's pouring. It is absolutely pouring, I'm loading up the car, and three bins of my pots fall out of the car and just like get trashed have i told you this story before? no and i'm just like you know I'm you can done. say it no I'm, I'm gonna you know i'm, I'm yes yeah, so i'll try to use language um, the first half went a little blue the second yeah. half will be anyway well, so so three, anyways so yeah. it, and i'm just like and i just leave them there and I remember I took a picture, and I'm not a selfie guy, but I took it like in the mirror of the car, and you can see like everything from the booth packed up in my wife's car, and I've left these bins of however many broken yeah. pots on the side of the road in Houston, so I still haven't gotten a littering ticket, but hopefully that's okay. <laughs> um, but, and I just text my wife, and I just say, something's going to change. And I didn't know what that meant. I mm. like In my mind, it was like... Am I done? Am I going to law school? Yeah. Am I whatever? But I just, you know, sat on it and I decided to shift how I portrayed my work, shift how I wanted people to use it. So I started showing it with food photographs hmm. and, you know, shot my own the first time. And this is at early stages of kind of... And what year is this? This was 2011, 2012. Okay. 
Um, but yeah, so it was just so like... So it's still novel. Yeah. Oh, and Instagram was fairly new, but I started following like wedding planners and, you know, food stylists and all these people that it was new. And it was like, wait, they're using pieces that look like my pieces um, yeah. that are industrially made. They're using, you know, and I was like, wait, I can learn from all this and I can apply things from what we consider real life to pottery world. And I, I decided to, as much as I could, put my stuff where it's not supposed to be. Hmm. Um, so whatever food event I could find that like connect with, I would do that. Um, I did a pop up at by George, which is an incredible oh, yeah. store here in town. Legendary. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And I, it was the first time I did this pop up where all these people were coming through and shopping and were, would tell me that they've been in the studio, but they're in the studio in sweatpants on a Sunday during mm-hmm. East Austin studio tour. So I don't know that they also shop at by George, which sells $10,000 dresses. Yeah. And my work became, in that moment, I was like, it was like, instead of being at a craft show selling alongside 30 other potters, I'm like, here I am next to, you know. Armani. Yeah. Uh, Versace. Dries, man, like everything. Oliver People. Oliver People, you know, vintage Rolexes. Yeah. You know, and I just decided to, whatever I could do to put my work in random situations, I would, so that it, it just stood out. And so... The chef started calling. So chef started calling. Skip ahead. No, 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 no. It's fine, because it was yeah. good that we got there. Yeah. But, like, who's the first chef that called? Um, so the first person who reached out was June. Um, June Radiel from... Uh, now she's with Larry McGuire at June's. Um, oh, yeah. And she's beverage director. She's awesome. For she, those who don't know, Larry McGuire is, like, legendary restaurateur he's down here. Restaurateur entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. He owns by George now. Yeah. Um, Full circle. And he kind of... Um, I think... He's he was one of the first people who understood that lifestyle meant more than just lifestyle, and that you could apply it to restaurants, you could apply it to all these different things. Yeah, because lifestyle now, there's no line. No, it's like it used to be like this is my life, and then the lifestyle part of it yeah. was like sort of the accessories, sort of what you did. But now it's like lifestyle is a brand, and well, who you are is a brand. Yeah, and but also to the sense that. You can take cool things from different random places yeah. and bring it into your life. Right. And like, you can have a pottery guy. You can have a flower yeah. guy. And you, you can have, you know, yeah, like, a, I mean, like, a butcher girl. Yeah, you can have uniforms at a restaurant, you know, yeah. that are different than, than what they used to be. And, I mean, for restaurants, plates became the thing, I think, because it was the next thing you could do within design, right? Like, first, you know, really, you know, everyone doing incredible design work and graphic design work mm-hmm. and, you know, architecture, and then plates were the logical next step. I mean, you could argue that with the rise of Instagram and social media, you know, what gets more photographed than food and what does the food sit on? It's the yeah. plate. So, yeah. like, that becomes really important. Yeah. Um, especially for those people, as we mentioned, who design a dish with, a custom plate in mind and be like, if you want to see this plate, you have to come to this restaurant. Yeah. And I, I mean, also, you know, when you, if you know my work, you, that line that I do is very identifiable. Oh yeah. And, um, I'm really fortunate to have really, really incredible chefs using my plates and taking pictures of them and their And how does that work? How does that work when it, does a chef go like, I've created a dish or I want to create a dish. Do you have something like this? Will you make something for me? It's a mix. I mean, some, a lot of it, um, we'll do little variations on our standard stuff. Sometimes, like we did, um, 
we did about over 3,000 pieces for Alex Dupac for when he opened an MP on Midtown. Shout out. Yeah, and um, Alex is incredible, and he's also incredibly detail-oriented, so oh, he yeah. knew exactly what he wanted. Other chefs are like, hey, I want a 7-inch plate. What do you have? And I'll give them some options. And they're like, cool, can you do this? Oh, can you do this but like this? And, you know, we've got, we can do the, you know, anything with it. Um, it's it's about figuring out what works within their space. Now, I want, before we... Uh get move on i want to ask about um how you take the stories and sort of bring it back to what we talked about uh earlier on about how pottery is a part of a thousand year tradition but how are you folding modern stories into the the pieces you make and the stories of these chefs and the stories of these dishes or stories for the stuff that you're now making in for home like the vases and things like that mm-hmm. like how do you fold the the storytelling aspect into something physical that's a really tough question Um, I would dive in and talk about intent and craftsmanship and skill and understanding what should go out into the world. Yeah. And for me, the object, you know, you talked about object matter is what I say. And it's like, yeah, I, I really think that when you use my work, you notice the difference when you are passing one of my bowls across the table. Yep. You're feeling a connection, hopefully, to whatever. Maybe it's the person who gave you that piece. Maybe it's your visit here to the shop, seeing the studio. Maybe it was a dinner that you ate at and saw the plates and then reached out to me. Like, when you pass something handmade across the table, mine or anyone's, you notice it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... That's, that, to me, is why objects matter and why I make things. Because what I want to do is I want my work to live in the real world. Yeah. And for years, I was making pots and they were ending up at someone's home. Right? And I used to joke, like, hey, you're taking a piece of me home with you. <laughs> um, now, I'm making work and it's ending up at a restaurant. Which means an insane number of people on any given night are using my work and passing it across right. the table. And sharing a plate across the... You know, with their with their, with their their neighbor. And it's just... It's super humbling to think on a nightly basis how many people are using my work, but since I I believe that selfishly I want my work used, of course, it's not meant to sit in a sh- in a, a case. No. no, maybe maybe in a thousand years when they dig it up. Yes, that would be that would be cool. That'd be cool. Um, when New York collapses, <laughs> do we have enough time for conspiracy theory? Okay, sit down. Oh, well, we can go. <laughs> we can yeah, go wait, what show are we on now? Uh, but Is no, it ancient aliens. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Eighteen aliens in the future, but yeah, but you know, it's it's use, it's story, it's like yeah. it's uh it's a, a functionality as well. Yeah, but yeah, and it, it's it's functionality, and and for me, when I'm making them, I'm thinking about the broader history. So, yeah, you know, offline we were talking about trends and fads and sure. Instagram and all that stuff, and I think when you're looking at what's cool on Instagram, you're looking at what's happening right now. Yeah, and it's awesome, and I love it, and it helps my business and helps my work, and. You know, I'm an addict like anyone else. But if you don't have that knowledge of what happened before, mm-hmm. you can't figure out where you want your work to be down the road because you are only playing to the now. Yeah. And for me, it's understanding that this cup that we're sitting here drinking out of is a culmination of however many thousands of cups I made. It's the culmination of the guy who taught me how to make a cup this way. Mm-hmm. It's where he learned that from. It's from the Mayan pots that you ogle at in museums that someone's hand touched that. So at the end of the day, I want someone to think this was made by hand, this matters, it's connected to a whole bunch of things. 
Awesome. Well, Keith, thank you so much. Thank you. We could talk forever. We could go on. But we have a live band coming up. That's awesome. Uh, where can people get your stuff? Where can people see you work? Where can people salivate along like I do? <laughs> um, you can follow me on Instagram at Keith Krieger. Um, we've got a website where we just revamped our web store, and we have a showroom here in Austin, Texas now that's connected to the studio. Um, and we work with about 40 chefs across the country, so um, from L.A., Chicago, New York, Miami. You can find our stuff, so enjoy. Awesome. Eat well. Eat well. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for the vase. Of course. Super excited to put some flowers in Good. it. Uh, we have another song from the archives and then a live band here on Snacking Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound? What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy saltwater? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, long chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from. Experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. Thank you once again to Ben who made us the uh, Shakespeare's sister shots. That was no joke. That was no joke. Those those jerk bitters. They got... Oh, man. I never, I never heard of that before. I want to get into that. Uh, Jamaican bitters. Well, I'm looking at four proud fathers of their new baby. Is an album a girl or... It's a girl, right? Yeah. Right? Sure. Sure? I think this yeah. Is, yeah. So, six days <laughs> old. Have you guys slept? How's she doing? She all right? She crying a lot? Keeps us up at night. Yeah. 
Um, just give her a little whiskey every night, and then she goes right out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, Limits of Desire is out. Super excited. How do you guys feel about it? I feel great. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, we spent a lot of time on it, but it was worth it, and I don't know, we're really proud of it. Um, what's it like to uh, sit down and write an album these days and put it out in the crazy world that is the music industry? It's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. It's like something like a release date is such a weird thing now because the album's streaming a week before. Right. People have stolen it, you know, a couple of weeks before that. So. Oh, really? Like, were you were you guys hacked? Yeah, I mean, I think it only it got leaked like maybe two weeks before, which is pretty damn good. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't good. too bad. Yeah, no, that's about as be- the best you can hope for. So, um, how does I, it feel to see a leak of your album? Cool. Yeah. Because people care enough that they're gonna they're looking steal for it. it. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. You know, I I think everybody steals music. It's it's just the reality of things. You pay for what you can afford. So yeah, everybody that hears our band is you know. We're lucky for them to check it out. So give us a quick history of the band. How'd you guys all meet? Ryan and I are from Long Island. Strong Island. Yeah. And we're friends from back then. Nice run in the uh, cup this year. First round, not bad. Oh, the Islanders. Yeah. 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 The soon-to-be Brooklyn Islanders. No. That got nixed? It's not Brooklyn. They're staying... Yeah. They're staying Long Island. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. New York Islanders. Anyway, you guys met in Long Island. Yeah, and then Jeff and Juan are friends from college, and then we kind of buddied up and started the band. Supergroup? Yeah. And what year was that? 2009. Okay, so it's been it's been a minute. Yeah. It's been yeah. a minute. Four years, you guys still all friends? Yeah. Right. Tor, tor will make every, makes everybody crazy, but then we chill out for a week and become friends again. That's because tour isn't natural. Like, tour is, is no. the most unnatural... We're going to put you in a van. We're going to give you no sleep. And yeah. it's like lots of stress. <laughs> lots of stress. Yeah, everybody has had their meltdowns. So just you try, know to, what? try to manage them. I wouldn't trust a, a guy or a girl in a band on a tour who didn't have a meltdown. Because then you're like, oh, this person's fucking crazy. And they're Actually, this it. guy, Ryan, I can't. Th- maybe Ryan hasn't had a meltdown. Really? He's a real even keel. I guess not. He's I guess I'm to totally have nuts. Because when you're acting like a nut. You just look at Ryan, he's very sensible and calm. <laughs> and then you feel bad about yourself. What's uh what's the food sitch on the uh on we the road? We don't play around. We eat real well. Really? We don't, we don't eat crap. We're we're super into Yelp and like we'll when we're on like a long drive we we plot out all the cities that are on the route and we'll call an order in in advance and pick it up on the way. Oh you're no joke. Yeah. Yeah, we're not eating. We try not to do crap. this, you know, gas station shit the, bur- the 99 yeah. cent burrito yeah exactly i mean because really when you're on a 10 hour drive the only thing to look forward to is something good to eat so what's uh what's some of your favorite places like cities or restaurants hit me with both um we've had really good luck in phoenix have you gone to america's best tacos near the airport no but i want to uh well uh, we'll trade info they do this carne asada and they just put it in eight different types of like Whoa. wraps that sounds really good. We yeah. have to do that. We went to this place called Fez, which is like a sandwich joint, and Triple H from WWF was there. Oh, yeah. Fez in Phoenix? Yeah. Yeah. Was... Some other band was on the show talking about Fez. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. 
It's you know, I you know, I think it's uh, I think there are just communication between bands. I mean, look, you're all looking for good food at a certain price yeah. point in certain towns. Yeah. You're going to come across the same thing. It's true. That yeah, that place has been a go-to um, What was the name of that diner we ate at in Denver? Oh, it's something with an S. I wish I knew the um, name. That food was yeah. delicious. Really good fried chicken. Um, you guys anyway. All right, so let's do We'll, 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 I'll look it up. We'll see if we can find it. You said yeah. S Diner, Colorado? We'll, we'll find it, yeah. Is it in Denver? All right, we'll see if we can find it. Thing. So uh, you, you guys going to rip a song for us? Yeah, let's do it. What song are you playing first? This song is called No Stranger. All right, here we go. Small Black, New Dads of the new album. The Little Baby Girl, No Strangers here on Snacking Tunes. Stranger 
that's a, that's a summer jam. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. That's, a, that's a straight up summer jam. So what's the writing process for you guys? Is uh, you know, I heard you when you guys were warming up before the show started. There was definitely a little bit of jam going on. You guys jam it out, and then you uh, figure out the songs really, from there. We do some jamming. Yeah, it's really different song to song. Um, yeah, some are from jams. Some are from a song somebody brings to the band, and then we kind of rework around all the different elements. Um, I think for this record, songs didn't really become contenders for the record until they had a hook that we thought was good and that we la- we latched onto. So I think that was the the main criteria as far as how we followed through and finished things. When I think. One of the things that I like now, or when you can definitely tell that a band wrote an album, and not just a single, and you guys put out an actual album. So what's it like when you're structuring, not just going for one song, but a whole start to finish and placement and things like that? I just was reading about um, the Breeders' 20, 20th anniversary of The Last Splash, and they're like talking about song placement and structure and the way it goes, and I feel that that's a lost art. Yeah, um... I would say with this record, like Free at Dawn, the first track was definitely designed as an intro track, and the last track, Outskirts, is um, definitely was always designed to be the ending. So um, we had that in mind, and then I think the rest, things start to, as you as you get closer with the mix, they start to really show their head as to where they belong in the record and what role they serve. You know, there's a couple of songs that we cut from the record that I think are really good that just weren't. You know, they didn't serve the proper role in the record. And do those become seven inches, or what do you do with those? Um, I guess ca- I we're mean kind of we just put the record out, so we're still figuring out what to do. But yeah, seven inches are great. EPs, you know, it's it's kind of what. You know, you got to respect Record Store Day for I think breathing life back into the seven inch and making it yeah. like a new commodity. Mm-hmm. I feel for a few years uh, that was not a thing, and you know, the digital download or like the free song. But there's something nice about having it be tangible even if it's 200 copies and you, re- you release it all no, I, I love seven inches i think that's probably the music form i buy the most just because it's five or six bucks it's a nice way to support the band you get the cool art i, I mean i like the general size of a seven inch it looks great and i don't know it's usually got some track that's not as easy to find on the net yeah on the b-side do yeah. you find that people aren't ripping seven inches as much as they are albums? i mean they do i mean everything eventually ends up on youtube but um, I think it's sometimes harder to find, like, that nice MP3 or something that you want to listen to. Yeah. What's your most uh, prized 7-inch? Um. <laughs> yeah. Juan's yeah. brother is, like, a like a deep 80s DJ. So. <laughs> Musical youth. Yeah. Yeah. I'm an Elder Barge 7-inch. Yeah, really. That's great. That's the summer jam. That's like oh yeah. Adult. There's your dub right there. Yeah, yeah. pop, but the, the jam, kid vocal when you can get away with it is really great. Yeah, you know, uh, there's a lot of fun. I also like playing seven inch. I mean, DJing is fun. Yeah, I no. usually just bring out the computer and do the whole Serato thing. But the seven inch thing is fun. You really work it. Especially yeah. with, you know, those are two, three-minute songs, and you're, you're sweating. And you better have those records organized, or you're going to be playing some trash. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> nothing is, nothing is uh, shorter than when you don't have the next song queued up, or longer than when you played the wrong song. <laughs> yeah, no. You can't get, yeah, you can't get out of a seven. There's no, yeah, like, there's no drag and drop a new song. Nah. No, you got to let, <laughs> let that bomb play out. 
Now, are you guys doing any barbecues this summer? You guys cooking or Juan, any barbecue? Juan is the is the guy. He's a deep barbecuer. Juan, what you got? Uh, he's well, a, he's I'm our f- foodie guy. He's the go to. I'm, I'm from Argentina, so we have uh, asado down there. Oh it's yeah, very very different style than that's here. That's like the big flame. That's yeah, the, yeah. And it's every house has uh, basically like a clay giant barbecue built into the backyard. It's they, there's a joke in Argentina that the, every house starts with the barbecue and then builds outward from there. Well, we got the barbecue. <laughs> We're thinking about building a house around it, right? That's pretty much Argentina, and it's just incredible, the, the meat quality. It's lean but very flavorful down there, and the cows are very healthy. Just incredible food. And produce, it's kind of like anything that you would have to go out of your way to get here, organic, it's just kind of regular there. Uh, so that's kind of the best because you, you don't feel like you're doing gourmet cooking. You're just doing regular cooking, but it's like... Well, there was a time when regular cooking was just gourmet. Exactly, yeah. exactly. What's your is that your? I mean, what do you do in Brooklyn? Because I am assuming I would love to. I've been trying to think about importing the grill. It's like a V shaped yeah. grill because it catches the fat, doesn't yeah. let the fat drip and smoke up into the meat. Uh, so I'm thinking about importing one of those and building one. We're also talking about doing a smoker in the backyard this summer, smoking some whole chickens. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. we're not we're not playing around. No, we're into it. It's, yeah. uh, I think the uh, backyard. Brooklyn barbecue scene. Yeah, no, no, people don't come here to play. No, no, no. You know, it's, everyone's a foodie now. You better not show you with some pre-made yeah. patties. Oh no! Oh yeah, exactly. Party. Like I was in the bodega yesterday and I saw those uh, pre-wrapped cheeseburgers, oh, and I was like, God. "Who still unnecessary? 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 All right, enough about food. Let's let's do another, let's do another song. Yeah. We'll talk about food all day. Uh, what do we got next? The song is called Sophie. Okay, here we go. Uh, Small Black Sophie here uh, live on Snacky Tunes.
rad. So how would you best describe your music? Oh, man. I'm kidding. I'm not going to ask you music <laughs> questions like that. Let's get Thanks. back to the food. Um, so what is your favorite uh, time of the year to eat? Are you guys barbecue men or are you guys, actually, are you guys like winter soup dudes or things like that? Come um, on in. You're the food guy. Don't stand in the corner. Yeah. Just over there. I just like to eat fried chicken all the time. You know, there was a good article in the Times last week about how to fry chicken and how if it's not deep fried, it's not that bad for you. If Which, it's not deep fried, it's not that like, bad for you. I thought if you had the temperature hot enough, the fat didn't get in. Yeah. And it's kind of okay. It's kind of okay. Like, the deep fried stuff that you get at KFC, that's that's bad for that's you. Bad. But that's the like, But the cast iron, two-inch skillet okay. stuff is not as bad for you. And I'm just going to... And guess what? If I read that wrong, I'm just going to believe that it's not that yeah, bad for that. me. Keep that telling me that. Too. Right? Keep telling me that. Good so we learned today that Jamaican bitters are awesome and fried chicken is a health food. It's a health food. It's a health food. It's absolutely a health food. I read the other day that I was looking for recipes to make a pudding, like yeah. caramel pudding, and, and this one was like, this is really healthy, low in fat, high in calcium and protein. I was like, all right, yeah. I'll just make some caramel pudding. You know, look, I, th- <laughs> Why not? I think the biggest issue is processed food. Yeah, I think if absolutely. you can just eat good ingredients, like, okay, this pizza that we're eating, probably not every day, but essentially it's just bread and sauce and good cheese. Good cheese. Yeah, yeah I, I'm reading this uh, Joseph Mitchell book, and this one section is all about the Fulton Fish Market, and uh, there's this big section that, that he hangs out with this 93-year-old guy who's pretty much only eaten seafood his whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And... He goes into this big, and it's, this is like in the 40s, and he goes off on like bread you'd get at the supermarket or whatever you got it there, and said so he would never eat it, yeah. and that it's trash. And this guy would seem like was the first person that was completely against processed foods, and I think he lived to like be a hundred. Just yeah, I, it's it's really a, everything now is just going back to the way things were yeah. before all the processing. Trying to. Or trying to, like, the whole, like, dry-aged steak thing. It's like every steak used to be dry-aged. Yeah. yeah. That was the way you did it, and now it's, like, the special thing. We actually dry-age our own steaks at home, too, which is nice. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. We mess with that. We've definitely done that. What's <laughs> a couple the, porterhouses. What's the longest you let a steak go? I just go, like, two or three days tops. Okay. And then it starts to dry out. And then I, know, I do the Heston Blumenthal method of just, like... Hot sear, 15 seconds, flip, flip, flip for two minutes, done. Really? Flip every 15 seconds. It never lets either side cool down, so it builds a nice crust, gets it nice and medium. I usually just do like a two-minute, two-minute. You know, Carlo (laughs) over at at Blanca does an 85-day steak. Get out of here. 85. It's it's like... It's like like jerky by the end, but it's like... No, it's got like a funky blue cheese moldy... Ooh, Delicious. Yeah. Just cut that right off. You can't be afraid of the funk in both no. music and steak, no. you know? No, certainly not. So what's the plans for you guys? Tour coming? Yeah, we start tour on May 29th in Boston, and then we come back and wrap up in New York at Music Hall of Williamsburg on the 30th of June. Oh, so you guys are out for a month. Yeah, and then we'll be out again. So what, are you going north and around? Circle, yeah. Circle. One of my favorite burrito places is up in Boston. You guys go to Anna's Taqueria? Ooh, oh, I I have been there. It's incredible. The yeah. burrito there. I had it like a decade ago, so I don't know if it's, it's the still same. the same, but oh my God. Do you know the Soul Clap guys? Yeah. Okay, I'm good friends with Charlie from growing up. Yeah. Family friends, so we used to go there. Oh man, it's up good. In Boston. That was like the first mission style, like steamed cheese type of burrito quesadilla so thing good. I've ever had. Go there. Yeah, we it's should. good. That's really on should. the list. Yeah. 
So you guys are just doing all North America? You guys dip into Canada? Yeah, we're doing Mo- Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver. Toronto's got great food, and Montreal, too. <laughs> Montreal's that's my hometown. It's my dad's from. Where's Joe Montreal. Beef at? Is that in... Montreal. Montreal, yeah. Dude, call him to even get a res. I know, right? Seriously. That'd be amazing. Hey, yo, our band loves your restaurant. Our band loves your restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening right now, Joe Beef, guys, we'll definitely come check it out. Just go to Schwartz's or go to Fairmont Bagels or things like that. Just get some of that dirty poutine. Yeah. Right? Totally. Uh, so I want to thank you guys coming on. What's all the nuts and bolts? Where can people buy the album? Um, just You can just get it at our website, small-black.com, or just grab it from Jag Jaguar or iTunes, Amazon. It's on all, all those various places. And can people the follow city. the tour on Twitter, Instagram? What are those? Yeah. Um, like Facebook. Facebook. It's pretty easy to find if you just Google small black. Uh, small BLK is the, t- is the Twitter handle. So. And where's the name from? Uh, I moved to Portland on a whim once, and I was living in this really sort of screwed up house, and there was a pack of raccoons that lived in the attic. Okay. And we named them all, and one of them was named Small Black, and that's who we named. That was the name of the band. Interesting. Well, shout out to Lissa. Lissa, what, what do you got? Come with- Tumblr. 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 Oh, the Tumblr. Oh, Tumblr. Yeah. Smallblack.tumblr.com. I love Tumblr. Yeah, Tumblr. Which just got bought by Yahoo today for a yeah. billion dollars. Really? Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. Yeah. That re- that's really the way to make money. I, I guarantee you Tumblr's savoring champagne bottles right now. I think that's hey, what you Tumblr do. guys, we love you guys. I think that's what happens when you sell for like a billion. I think that's what Instagram did. They just savor it. They get those like big, comically sized magnums. The Shandon, yeah. the Shandon like the magnum. Like, yes, the yeah. Shandons. <laughs> Which are crazy because they're like $100,000. It's like a hundred, I don't know. We, we drink that sometimes after shows. Oh, yeah? Just get a novelty, like human-sized bottle. And just savor it with one of the guitars? Yeah. Sure. Awesome. All right, so what's the last song we're going to get? We're going to do all these Despicable Dogs. Awesome. Well, Small Black, Ben, everybody, thank you so much. We will be off next week because we will be enjoying a day of barbecue. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, you guys got barbecue plans for Memorial Day? Oh, yeah. yeah we We're working on it. Oh, you're working on it. We're working on it. Working on it. Start aging those. Hey, man, do we get some funky steaks for next for next Monday? Steak and shrimp. Yeah, That's I'm what we're going to do. 80 day. 80, 85. <laughs> 85 day. I know, right? That's... That's really, really That's bold. Dedication. Yeah. I It scares me, but obviously, I, I don't know. It's fine. It's fine? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Small Black, Snacky Tunes, see you in two weeks. Thanks, guys.
Listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.